we're trying to do is create a positive environment where some useful conversations can occur because that will save thousands. It will avoid um, ending up in conflict with lawyers. Yeah, absolutely. That's Clarissa Raywood, and you're listening to episode 17 of the Super Dad Show. We are joined by Clarissa Raywood, a wife, mum, and divorce lawyer who runs a busy practice in sunny Brisbane, Australia. As an accredited specialist in family law, a collaborative lawyer, and mediator, Clarissa has seen the impact of separation and divorce on Australian families and our children. Her mission now is to keep families out of the family courts and provide a new path for separating families that minimizes the emotional and financial toll of divorce. In 2016, Clarissa released the book Splitsville, How to Separate, Stay Out of Court and Stay Friends. And it's her experience in this area that I'm most excited to unpack and help our listeners to learn from today. Clarissa Raywood, welcome to the Super Dad Show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you are a mum, a wife, and a lawyer with multiple businesses, uh, so I can see. Can you start by telling us a little more about your kids, how you met your husband, the highs and lows of being a family lawyer, just what life is really like for you? Uh, life right now is a bit crazy, but I think that's consistent for everyone, isn't it? doesn't matter who you are and what's going on, life tends to be a bit crazy. So I've recently had my second child, so I've got an eight-week-old and a six-year-old. I am married to... Um, my husband, Oliver, where did we meet? That's a funny one. So we met here in a building in Brisbane. Um, Oliver's a builder. And so it took six months of me quite persistently each morning getting up and going for a alleged run and trying to get the attention of the builder that was in the <laughs> building and me going, hi, hi, for six months before he finally seemed to say hi back. So we, we, we often laugh about that because I think it's a good indicator of our relationship as well. I'm like the let's go and do stuff and he's a bit more chilled and introverted than me. So mm-hmm. we've survived the first 10 years. So that's, that's always a good thing. And what I say about marriage, and I say this with all of my clients, it, it has seasons, I've decided. So it can't be summer and spring all the time. You know, it, it takes mm. significant work. But um, mm. largely my life is, is pretty good. It has its moments like everyone's. Mm. So tell us about being a lawyer. Tell us about balancing family life with, yeah. with <laughs> the highs and lows of that occupation. Yeah, it look, it can be really tough. And I think... Um, you know, Jared, that in the last few years, I've really sort of shifted my position a little bit in terms of the work that I do to start doing a lot of work with other lawyers. So we have a very mm. high rate in our industry of um, mental health conditions, such as depression mm. and anxiety. And I certainly, a few years ago, started to struggle with my role as a lawyer. Part of that is I'm working with amazing people in terms of the clients I get to work with, but they're all at one of the most difficult situations or dealing with one of the most difficult situations in their life. Yes. They're in grief, they're struggling and it's, it's by no means their fault, but they tend to take that out on us. And so that takes mm-hmm. a toll on people like me as well, because mm-hmm. I've come into an industry like law because of a genuine you know, desire to make life better for other people. And it just over yeah. time, it can really start mm-hmm. to eat at you. And you mm-hmm. do see in this role, I see some, very difficult things from time to time. I've done work acting for children in court processes and seeing what different families are exposed to and what different children can be exposed to. 
I have at times found really difficult to manage. So from my own perspective, what I love about law, oh, and there's my daughter, what I love about law is the capacity to, you know, to genuinely make a difference in the lives of other people. Um, but that of itself can bring some real challenges in terms of your own wellness, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And look, I was reading in the intro to your book, you say that you have never regretted your decision to study law, but you have often regretted the impact you allowed the practice of law to have on your life. What prompted you to say that? Yeah, and I think it, it is exactly that. It's the stress that comes from a job like law. Like I'm often very jealous of Oliver, my husband, um, and I'm not trying to suggest his job's not stressful. It is. But what I love about his job is once the sun's down, his job's done and he doesn't get emails all night and he doesn't have things to worry about that, you know, mm. that I find myself doing all the time. So um, mm. that's, I think it's the impact of a job that is very much a brain centric job where you're dealing with people's lives, you're dealing with their children, you're dealing with their money. There couldn't be really anything yeah. more important than mm. that to most of us. And mm. sometimes things don't go the way you want them to go for people. And I, mm. the sort of person I am, I take that very personally at times. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, just attend to. I'm just going to pull the baby out and feed the baby. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> pausing interview <laughs> so if i was a lawyer i can imagine it would be a part of the job sometimes to act more like a counselor than a lawyer what attributes does it take to coach someone through you touch on it a little bit often the most heartbreaking experience of their lives um i think you really do as a modern day lawyer need to have the skills of both a legal professional that knows their stuff but also what is often thought of as a counsellor, someone that can listen, mm. someone that can understand um, the emotions that people are going through. And I don't have a degree in counselling. I don't have those formal qualifications, but I have spent an awful lot of time working with psychologists and working with other counsellors and really trying to learn about the human brain, about mm. grief, about how we all process that um, and how as human beings we react differently in different situations and often those reactions are what drive people into for example in my world into the court process mm -hmm. but actually if we look at those reactions in the context of human science and human psychology they're often very natural human reactions to difficult circumstances so I've certainly found myself that having a better practical understanding of the psychological realm that we all live in and then applying that to my legal work has made for, I think, a much better way of working with people. Absolutely. And look, just to unpack um, a little bit more, if someone has just split up with their partner, what are the stages of grief? What are the feelings that they're going to be feeling just, just from your experience and, and, you know, knowledge in this area of the psychology and your clients, can you, can you give them a bit of an understanding of, you know, what they're going through and what they're going to go through? Yeah, definitely. So famously, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was a psychiatrist back in the seventies, she sort of outlined this five stage grief cycle and she did her work mostly with people who had lost a loved one to death. Um, and mm. then her work has been applied to other grief events in, in human life. So in, in the divorce sense, it's, I guess it's the same. Um, one of the differences, though, that I will say between, say, death and divorce, in death we all have 
um, funerals and we have family coming together and we have everyone around us comes in and supports a person going through mm. that experience. And in divorce, mm. we often have the opposite. Um, if, if a separation has occurred, often our friends, our family don't know where to go. And so you actually see this sort of stepping back more so than coming in and supporting and helping. So in terms of the stages of grief, I would say they're the same, but the experience I think is quite different than the mm. research that Elizabeth was doing. So often people start in a space of shock. And I guess that's, that's certainly the case for the person that didn't see it coming. Um, and so the timing of these grief cycles is very different. So you mm. might have a person in a relationship that's actually going through grief towards, you know, for the last two years of the relationship, because in their mind, the relationship's falling apart and they're processing that while they're together versus the other person is oblivious to it. And suddenly they're in a yeah. state of deep shock when they find out that mm -hmm. for whatever reason, this relationship's over. Um, then the next stage Elizabeth talks about anyway is anger, which is a pretty obvious human <laughs> reaction to most things. Um, mm -hmm. And then we move into a space of often bargaining. Bargaining is um, in relationships. We see this a little bit where people start going back and forth where there's, Oh, you know, let's try again. Oh, if you do this, then maybe this will work. Or if you do that, then I'll do this. And mm -hmm. that sense mm -hmm. of trying to, trying to give and trying to get things back. Um, mm -hmm. We then move into a state of what she calls depression, not depression in the sense of medical depression that we now talk a lot about in society, but depression in that, of, you know, that state, if anyone's had their heart broken, that just complete state of despair where you wake up yeah. in the morning and you, you feel that horrible feeling in your stomach. Mm -hmm. You just think, mm -hmm. what is happening to my life? This isn't what I wanted. And then finally, we move to a state of acceptance. Now, it all sounds beautiful when I just go linearly, okay, you've got five things to get through and once you get to the end, life will be great again. But grief doesn't work like that. Mm. And so you can, be, you can be in a place where you think, okay, I've got through it. And then the very next day in a shopping centre, hear a song that takes you back to a moment in time <laughs> that has a particular memory associated with it. And before you know it, you're back in anger. Um, or you might receive a message on a Sunday that is an email or a text message from your former partner that to them was nothing. But to you, it's arrived at a time or on a day or even just the way it was worded can trigger that really deep emotional reaction in, in you. And again, before you know it, you're back in an earlier stage of the grief cycle. So it's a moving yeah. feast mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of time to process the grief at the end of mm -hmm. a relationship. Mm -hmm. Most of us don't fall in love in the space of 24 hours, <laughs> most of us, yeah. I say. Yeah. Um, and therefore, most of us don't fall out of love in that same limited time. So you've got to allow yourself a lot of time to process those emotions, but they're horrible emotions. So you don't want to spend a lot of time processing them. So I'm talking a lot here because this is, this is the most difficult thing, but I think normalizing it and knowing that you're meant to feel angry. You're meant to feel sad. You're meant to feel frustrated. You're meant to feel scared. These are all normal human emotions at the end of mm. a relationship but they're all yeah. able to be managed. Absolutely. And look, we have such a mix of dads going through separation and divorce in our group. Some have managed to remain friends with their ex. Some are hardly able to communicate with them. Can you tell us about some of the cases where couples have remained friends through their separation and divorce and what they did differently to others whose marriage ended miserably and continue to cause problems today? So I can absolutely. And I think um, I was reflecting when you sent me these questions about the different families I've worked with, certainly in the mm. last year and a number of, I, 
it's funny. I get asked all the time, you act for more women than men, don't you, Clarissa? Because if anyone followed my social media, it's very feminine, very Clarissa. I actually act for more men. And I don't, I don't have any reason for that. Mm-hmm. It's just how it works out for me. I really enjoy working with men because you're pragmatic. And so I tell you to do something and you go, yes, okay, I understand. Yeah. And so last year I was working with a number of gentlemen and one in particular sticks out when you ask me that question, you know, what, what did he do that that kept his family in a place where he and his wife and our friends and mm. he had made the decision to end a very long relationship. They had four children. Um, his wife was deeply shocked by his decision. It was certainly not on her radar at all. And when she um, was in shock, she moved very quickly to a state of quite deep anger mm-hmm. um, and lashed out a lot. When I say lashed out, I mean, not in a physical sense, but in a, they would have fiery arguments. There'd be unhelpful emails there was just a lot of anger and tension at the time, more mm. because she was so deeply hurt than anything else. Mm. And what I observed with him is that he didn't react to that. He never sort of gave the same back. He was always very calm and considered. He would debrief in different circumstances when she wasn't around. And when I say debrief, he'd have that conversation with me about how hurt and difficult and um, what he wanted to say. And I often say to my clients, why don't you write the email that you want to respond with, but send it to me Mm -hmm. rather than to the other person because it's never going to be helpful. We don't need to win little email battles. It's not Mm -hmm. going to achieve any bigger purpose. Mm -hmm. So by buying time in the sense of allowing her to calm and come to grips with the very difficult circumstances that they were both now facing because everything that they planned for had changed, it meant that they were able to get to a place where they've now got shared time for their kids, finances are divided, and I'm confident that they just spent Christmas together because that was something we negotiated before Christmas, which is a hard thing to do when you've only Mm -hmm. separated a year before. For me, when I look at that, and I look at all of the clients I've worked with that are able to really maintain that level of friendship. It is, again, that focus on their kids. It's the focus and understanding on the fact that they want their kids to be able to move smoothly between two homes. And, you know, for 20 years, this gentleman had, had loved his wife and she was a good, good woman. There was no reason to dislike her. These two had fallen out of love. Yeah. Um, and it's really, I guess, being able to find those things that you respect in your former partner. You've had children with them. There must be things that you respect. You may not like them right now, but it's, it's coming back to saying, well, they are a good mum. There are things that they do. Maybe I don't do them the same, but there are things that they do. And I know that they really care for our kids and I've got to focus on it in that business relationship way. Mm -hmm. When I think about the cases where friendship is just simply impossible, I put them into a separate box and usually they're the box where as family lawyers, we're involved from week one because something dramatic has happened. And the dramatic um, thing is often kids have been taken. Uh, You know, I acted in my very early career as a family lawyer for a man who had come home from work and his house was empty and his kids had gone and there was no um, inkling of where they were, what was going on, why this had happened. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't a risk situation. There wasn't abuse. Mm. There wasn't domestic violence. It was just what his wife had done. And that family never came back from that act. Um, Mm. She was brought back to Queensland by the courts. Ultimately, he ended up with um, largely an equal time arrangement for his kids, but the damage and the money and the drama and the conflict that went on all because of that decision where had she, maybe it would have been very, very difficult to say to him, this marriage is over, but had she done that, there would have at least been the chance the two of them could have 
found yeah. a way through it together with some trust. Yeah. The minute that trust is broken in such a dramatic way, it's near impossible, I think, to come back mm. from that. Mm. Now, look, I have a few questions from some of our Subidab members. The first one is this. My wife and I have just split up and the wounds are still fresh for both of us. Our communication is down and when we do speak, we find it hard to talk to each other rationally. How do I approach the topic of coming to an agreement for shared parenting? And on a side note, he also said family lawyers are expensive. Is he better off hiring a hitman? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, I often, and not even jokingly, I often say I couldn't afford myself. So I completely understand the notion that engaging with lawyers is expensive and it is. I'm not not about to suggest otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are points in time where I think having legal advice and having knowledge and having an understanding of where your boundaries might sit on what you can and can't achieve is actually a really helpful thing when you're having difficult conversations with your partner. Um, To answer the first half of that question, how, how can he manage conversations when everyone's wounds are raw um, is, a, is an art in itself. So a couple of tips I would start with. The first one is do you need to have conversations at all? So try and take out any level of communication that's unnecessary at the moment and just try and slow down the communication. If it's happening by email and text, that's good and bad. Text, I think, is notoriously bad for having any good quality discussion, negotiation, Mm -hmm. anything meaningful, because we all in text messages tend to be brief. Um, We tend to use abbreviations. We tend to do things quickly and we don't mindfully think about what we're saying. So I wouldn't use that as an avenue to have the type of conversation that um, this gentleman is asking for. Mm -hmm. I would mindfully, if I was him, sit down and think about what am I trying to achieve? You, You know your partner better than anyone else. You've been with them in a relationship. You know how to press their buttons, which is good and bad. So on this, you don't want to press any buttons. You want to find a way to be able to say, could we sit down and have this conversation? And you might choose a public place like a cafe or let's do it by phone or let's do it in email or you might bring in a family member or a friend that can help you. Or there's also mediation services all around the country um, that you can access for free that will help. I would start with an email to um, his partner, honestly saying, in essence, what he said to us in that question, which is, it's obviously really difficult for both of us to talk at the moment and I'm finding that difficult. And I was thinking that it would be helpful for us both to know what the future holds for each of us. And I'm, you know, give some suggestions. I'm open to sitting down in a cafe. I'm open to doing this by email. I'm open to bringing in uncle george if that's the right person you know give some options to her and let her come back and say i don't want to do any of those things but i'll do this or yes how about we do that and it's taking that again that anger and surprise element out and sometimes just being honest about how you feel and being courageous enough to say this is really tough i'm i don't know the best way forward of itself is valuable and you've got nothing to lose in Mm. that situation you're not giving away anything You're merely trying to open up a conversation. Um, A lot of the work I do now with clients is what I call coaching, which is literally, you know, coaching on what is that first email look like? And then you get the response. Okay, what is the second email? Because all we're trying to do is create a positive environment where some useful conversations can occur because that will save thousands. It will avoid um, ending up in conflict with lawyers. Yeah, absolutely. 
And look, before I move on to the next one, just on that note of uh, family lawyers being expensive, when should someone first hire a family lawyer and how often do they really need to be communicating when it is so expensive? So again, it comes back to what you need. You might um, go and see a lawyer. So most of us will give sort of an initial appointment, an hour to an hour and a half, answer any immediate questions, give you an idea of the legal framework, give you an idea of the legal options in terms of resolving things. Having that information, I think, can be incredibly empowering when you're then trying to work out what am I going to do moving forward. Mm. So um, I will see a lot of people in that early stage and then not for many months because they're off having conversations with their partner. They're thinking about what they might like themselves. They're working a lot of things out themselves. So I'm a big advocate for do as much as of it yourself as you can. But if you reach a point where you think, I don't know what's next, I don't know whether I'm doing something wrong, maybe I'm missing something, then go and get some advice. Mm. And the beautiful thing about the modern commercial world is, you know, lawyers don't get to call the shots anymore. Clients and consumers do. So you can go into a family lawyer and say, this is how I want to work. This is what my budget is. This is the level of assistance that I'm after. I'm happy to do a whole lot of legwork myself if that's what you want to do. Or you might go in and say, I just need to hand this over to you. I'm too emotionally attached to it. I can't, you know, I can't sensibly look after this myself. And again, have the conversation. Most of us are working now in a fixed fee, you know, transparent model where we can say this will be the cost to you. And so again, as a consumer, you can make a decision. Mm-hmm. Can I afford that? If so, what am I getting for my money? Um, I think clients and consumers, we're, we're all clients and consumers in different ways. We have a lot of power in the modern commercial world. So I would say shop around um, and find a model that works for you, but there's no right or wrong. There's no right in terms of you must have a lawyer um, and there's no wrong in terms of I don't, I don't want to have a lawyer. Mm. Yeah, great answer. So... Another super dad has raised the question, and this is his experience. So when a relationship breakdown is not amicable at all after a number of years, and he's tried everything, uh, the children are going home to his par- his ex-partner's household and hearing nothing but bad-mouthing and naysaying, what can he do? This is, well, this is the bane of my existence and happens... More regularly than as parents, I think we want to think it does. Mm. Um, So with my clients, the first place I start is to ask the question, how do we know that this is happening? Because children don't always tell us exactly what is actually going on. Sometimes they tell us what they think we want to hear. So it's being mindful with kids that they might be coming back and saying, mum said this, and in fact, mum may not have. Kids might have formed a view that that's how they can win over dad in dad's house and then they often go to mum and say dad said this and then they they think they're winning over mum in mm. mum's house. And you see mm. that with sort of younger kids in the, I'll call it the five, six, seven-year-old bracket. Um, however, there are many parents that seem to think it's entirely appropriate to tell their children why the other parent is not a good person, which obviously makes no sense because kids are the product of two people. And so when yeah. you're... When you're bad-mouthing a parent, you are bad-mouthing half of a child and it's deeply confusing to that child and it's Mm -hmm. deeply psychologically damaging. Sadly, much of the psychological answer that I've had to this question when I've asked the professionals that I work with is that there is little you can do other than try and um, 
ensure that the child doesn't feel that they need to keep telling you things like that and trying to make the child feel empowered by saying, I'm sure mum didn't mean that or um, that's a shame that that was said, but you, you know that that's not what I believe or what I think or what I am or what I do and trying to divert that conversation and not have a big dialogue in those moments. Um, it, the, the boring legal answer, and I see this in the family courts all the time, is we draft these orders that say neither parent will denigrate the other parent and will use their best endeavours to ensure that no other person denigrates the other person, blah, blah, blah. Mm. How do you police that mm. in a modern world? <laughs> like it's, it's crazy. So it's coming back to trying to say, you know, trying not to put the children in the middle of the conflict. Conflict mm. absolutely damages kids. There is no easy answer. Um, if it helps, what I've seen in my 20 years is kids that are exposed to that, more often than not, when they get into their teens and they get into their 20s, they start their brains start getting a bit broader and they start going, hang on a second, you're saying this about my dad, but my personal experience with dad is very different to what you're saying. So something mm -hmm. doesn't add up here. And yeah. that's when you start to see what can often be very difficult behaviour in teenagers. So mm -hmm. as dad, it's about being there. So that if that moment hits where suddenly you've got a little person saying, this isn't right, I don't want to live with mum anymore because that's not what I'm experiencing, that you're there um, yeah. and you never go into the same sand pit and start throwing sand. So you mm. don't revert it by saying, well, actually mum's this or mum's that. It's trying to be the bigger person, which is so tough. But sadly, that's what parenting's about all the time. Yeah whether you're separated or not. Mm. You know, there are all these moments I know as a mum, there's all these moments where I just go, oh, <laughs> this is tough. Um, and it's being the bigger person. That's our job as parents. Beautiful. Another dad asked, when false accusations have been thrown around and proven to be nothing but a fabrication, what words of wisdom can you offer to help dads like me to handle this in the calmest way possible? I don't have a good answer for this one either. This is also one of the things that I find. I think it would be near impossible as a human being to have some of the allegations that I see thrown around, often abuse, um, you know, things that people would just be mortified if I would be mortified if someone accused me of that. So I, mm. I, in that scenario, I would never expect my client to suddenly sit down and be amazing friends with the person that made those accusations unless the person that made the accusations is willing to apologise or recant you know, come back from that, which often they're not. So, again, it's about focusing on your kids and keeping the issues around the accusations and the anger between the parents and separate from your kids and supporting your kids and being the bigger person and not getting into that behaviour in front of them, with them, in their earshot, any of those things, and then engaging with professionals to help you manage how that makes you feel. <laughs> Beautiful. Baby's back. Baby's back. <laughs> All your podcast interviews normally this disjointed. Oh, of, of course. It's a super dad podcast. Oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> just, make, just making my editing job nice and fun. I know. I never edit my podcast too. I'm thinking, oh, my God, you poor thing. You have like 50 edits. <sighs> oh. Good. You know Good to go. All right. Next question. There is often a perception and it's been my experience hearing stories from a number of dads that mothers do better than fathers in the family system. Where is this true and where is it not true? And yeah, I agree that perception absolutely exists. And I think it comes back down to, you know, what's better and what's winning and what's losing. It's certainly the case. If you look at results that come out of the court system, 
And if you were to look at financial settlements, um, more often than not, a female will end up with more of the asset pool than the male in the courts tend to involve um, people who are in deep conflict, who have some sort of unusual factual situation that's led them to the court process in the first place because otherwise they would have found a solution themselves Mm -hmm. and still traditionally are probably involving parenting situations where mums are doing more of the what I'll call the home and the parenting and maybe not earning as much as dad. We're seeing this shift as certainly my generation comes through, um, but historically that's the stereotypical family arrangement that's existed here in Australia. Um, And the way the financial rules sort of sit and the way that property settlements are done, um, it looks, I guess there are adjustments made for the person that is earning less, the person that has the capacity to earn less moving forward, those sorts of things. And those adjustments then tend to mean that the female will end up with more than the male in those stereotypical situations. So that's if we just look at court decisions. And it's the same for parenting. If you look at parenting matters that find their way into the court process, they are highly conflictual. Otherwise, again, they wouldn't be in the court process. And once you're highly conflictual, courts are struggling then to make arrangements for shared time for kids because we know conflict damages children. So judges are then left in this difficult situation of saying, well, we can't have these kids moving between two parents who are constantly in war It's Mm. going to damage the children. So we've got to pick one or the other. And often it falls that they pick mum because that was her traditional role. That's what the kids have been used to. But again, we're starting to see that shift. If we step outside of the court process for a short moment and look at my my practice and look at the people I work with, and the, the majority of my work now is done out of court in using mediation or using processes like collaborative practice, the financial divisions, um, when I look at my cases, tend to be closer to equal, but it's the type of assets that are interesting more so than the percentage division. So this is, again, where it comes down to what does it mean to win and what does it mean to lose? Does getting 60% mean that you've won? Maybe it does to some people, but if that 60% meant that you got a pile of superannuation and not much else and you're 35 years of age, I'd suggest to you that that's probably useless to you right now. Mm -hmm. It'd be great when you're 65, but it's useless Mm -hmm. now. But on paper... I won because I got more in inverted commas. So what I'm trying to do is move away from the percentages. They're irrelevant and go, what what do we have between these two people? What are they hoping to achieve for each of their own lives? What were they hoping to achieve for their children's lives? And how can we maximise that with the pie that we have to meet everyone's needs? And it's sort of common sense. If you've got a person that's earning $400,000 a year and you've got a person earning $100,000 a year, And we want the kids to move equally between the two homes. The person earning $100,000 a year may need some ongoing support from the other person so that the lifestyle for the kids is sort of equal. Or the other person might say, look, I'll pay more of the school fees because I've got more capacity to do that. So there's an element of human common sense that usually would come in to some of these things. So I think I'd come back and say, yes, if you were to analyse all of the court decisions for the last 40 years, it would probably on paper look like women do better if that's the right way of putting it but it depends what do better means to you Um, and again if you can stay out of that process and focus on your own family the law is going to look at what's right for your kids what's Mm. right for your family and you can apply that in your own way um, in your circumstances and in that scenario I'm seeing a lot more equal time arrangements I'm seeing a lot more sensible financial divisions that don't necessarily have to be 50-50 for a person to walk away and feel like, you know, that's appropriate for us. That that works for our family. Mm. So, look, if 
a dad listening to this really isn't happy with the division of time with the kids and they want to go in for 50-50, you know, equal time. How do they do that? What do they need to have in place to improve their chances? So when it comes to orders for equal time, there was this wonderful shift back in 2006 to the Family Law Act. And I think the perception at the time was that everyone would end up with equal time. And it's not how it works. There is a presumption and an understanding now at law that parents have equal decision-making power for their kids. Mm. They have, you know, the right to have a say about really important stuff equally, and that's common sense. Um, But that doesn't flow through to say, and therefore all children should have equal time. And so this is, again, in parenting cases, it's about looking at your family, your kids, how old are they, what are they used to, what routines do they have, who's available, how will this actually work? So I do hear a um, a lot of men and a lot of women come in and say to me, I want equal time. And so my question always is, what does that actually mean? (laughs) What does that look like? How are you going to do it? You know, is it Sunday to Sunday? Is it Friday to Friday? Is it three days here and four days in the next week? There's so many different ways of achieving Mm. something like equal time. And often it's not about equal time. I think, again, as a parent, if someone said to me, Clarissa, you can have less than half of the time available with your kids. What that's really saying to me as a a mum, as a parent, is I'm probably not as good a parent as the other person because for whatever reason, you've chosen that the kids should spend more time with the other person, which Mm. for me, just as a basic human being, we're taught from very early in life that anything more than half is, you know, valuable and anything less than half is a loss. And so as a parent, when you're being told that you're only going to have weekends or holidays or whatever it might be, as a human being, we start to feel like we're not as valuable as the other person. But we also know both with separation and intact families, and I use my own family as an example of this, my my mum and dad never separated, but my dad travelled all the time. So he was away Monday to Friday most weeks. Do I love my dad any less? No. Do do I have any less of a relationship with my dad? No. It's not about the time. And Mm. I think that's one of the really important things to remember when you are going through a separation and you are um, thinking about what's best for your kids. As parents, we want our kids with us pretty much all the time. There are moments where I'd be very happy to lose my daughter. One of them was on Sunday on Mother's Day. (laughs) It's like, this is horrible. Please go away. Um, But most of us all the time would like our kids with us. We don't have kids to sort of give them away. Mm. But the reality of separation is that you can't do that. So Mm. then it's looking at what is the best thing for my children. And if you've got, for example, parents living an hour and a half apart and you've got kids at school, it's going to be pretty tough for your kids to be traveling an hour and a half every day to go to a school if you're trying to do equal time you're going to have to look at better arrangements whether it's a change of school whether it's an adult moving as opposed to children moving or whether it's saying equal time just doesn't work in this family at the moment and so i am going to do weekends but i'm going to suggest that i have two out of three weekends um, rather than just every other weekend and Mm. maybe i'll have some more time in the holidays and maybe i'll get in my car and i'll drive down there every you know, Wednesday, and I'll stay somewhere down there so I can see them as much as I can. So I guess my message on all of this, again, it's not about percentages when it comes to finances, and it's not about counting nights when it comes to kids. It's about really looking at what do your kids need right now? Um, How old are they? What are they used to? What's the best thing for them? And trying again, hear it from me all the time, to be the bigger person and sometimes let a few things go so that their lives are the best they can be. That's a very mature super dad, super mum approach. 
Well, it sounds so easy. It's much more difficult in practice, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I'm not so, about to suggest it should be easy. Yeah. Look, that, that brings us to, um, to my next question, which is about some of the more practical and positive ways that dads can maintain that healthy relationship with their ex-partner. Um, be respectful and think of it as a business relationship. It's probably my biggest tip okay. here. So at all times, be respectful, even when you feel like you are being pushed and prodded and agitated at every level, be respectful. Mm. Because what you're showing your kids in that scenario is so much that will hold them instead for the rest of their lives. We hear so much now about bullying in schools. We hear so much about conflict. We hear um, all of these difficult things. Human relationships are at the core of everything that we do. So if you can demonstrate to your kids that even when someone is being really, really difficult, you can still be that respectful, bigger person. That is an amazing life lesson. So try and come at it from that perspective. Um, I also would always say try and put yourself in the other person's shoes. And this is really a difficult one to do when you're both hurting, but try and see the world from the other person's perspective. Hmm. That will help you get to an end game. So if you have, you know, a common example, let's imagine you've had an affair um, your, your wife didn't know, has found out, is deeply angry, is deeply hurt, um, and their behaviour is anything but ideal back to you, you know, don't try and justify the affair. Accept it. It was a hurtful thing to do to that person. There may have been 50,000 reasons that you did it. It's irrelevant now. It's happened. And it's understanding that that action has hurt the other person. And you don't need to agree with that. You just need to understand that that's how they feel. And once you understand how another person feels in any conflict, whether this is in divorce or just in business or in life, then you can start to go, okay, how can I solve this problem? If they feel like this, what could I do to try and help with that feeling? Mm -hmm. Maybe I can do nothing. Maybe it's just enough that I acknowledge that my action has created that feeling and I can't fix it. Um, But again, just having that respectful dialogue about these really difficult things, I think can really, really help to create positive arrangements for the future amazing i love it and look i know that this um, podcast is going to resonate with a lot of our listeners how can people get in touch with you how can they work with you where can they purchase your books yeah help people to uh to know if they've really resonated with your message today and and who you are and what you do how they can get in touch with you So I am one of those people that does live my life pretty openly in the online space. (laughs) It's just (laughs) easy for me that way. So um, I've got obviously my law firm and the website for the law firm. So that's brisbanefamilylawcentre.com.au. That's here in Brisbane. Um, But I have a personal website, thehappyfamilylawyer.com, and that website's got a lot of information on it, a lot of free information. Um, You can purchase my book from that site. And um, webinars, just stuff like I've really tried to take an approach of saying what what information can I just give away so that people can work their way through this themselves if they need to Mm. Um, but if yeah if you did want to work with me then I'm here in Brisbane I work with people all over Australia just reach out just get in touch pick up the phone I'm a bit of a chatter so Mm. pick up the phone I say (laughs) and we've had a great chat today you also (laughs) spoke about um just those frameworks for the emails and everything like that is something, is that something that you're putting into a course or, or you already sort of have in some sort of format? So I do have a course that I need to finish, Jared, oh. um, which is it's my course splits well, which is in essence from my book and practically applying that 
um, into a course off the back of that. It's sort of, you know, 90% done, you know, when you've had a baby and you <laughs> should do some stuff and I'm getting to that. So that's there. If anyone wants help with any of those things, just reach out. Like it's, it's not, it's not a difficult thing for me to create a framework for someone around an email or whatever it might be, but I can certainly pass any of that stuff on. Fantastic. And look, I know I've learned a lot today and, uh, and I'm really trying to understand the challenges that the dads in our group are going through to a deeper level. And you've helped me with that today. You've had some very, very practical advice and wisdom to share with our listeners. So Clarissa, thank you so much for joining us on the Super Dad Show today. Thank you so much for having me. And I have some very exciting news just for our Superdad listeners. You can now go to www.thehappyfamilylawyer.com slash Splitsville ebook and use the coupon code free Splitsville ebook at checkout to download a free copy of the book. Whether you're a dad or not, if you've been listening to the Superdad show and you love what you've been hearing, please support us. Go to www.thehappyfamilylawyer.com Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, slash Superdads Online, S-U-P-E-R-D-A-D-S-O-N-L-I-N-E. And there are so many opportunities for you to give and get support for yourself.